Section 1 of The Social Gangster This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Roger Moline The Social Gangster by Arthur B. Reeve Section 1 The Social Gangster, Part 1 The Social Gangster I'm so worried over Gloria, Professor Kennedy, that I hardly know what I'm doing. Mrs. Bradford Brackett was one of those stunning women of baffling age, of whom there seem to be so many nowadays. One would scarcely have believed that she could be old enough to have a daughter who would worry her very much. Her voice trembled and almost broke as she proceeded with her story, and looking closer, I saw that at least now, her face showed marks of anxiety that told on her more than would have been the case some years before. At the mention of the name of Gloria Brackett, I saw that Craig was extremely interested, though he did not betray it to Mrs. Brackett. Already, with my nose for news, I had scented a much bigger story than any that had been printed, for the Brackets had lately been more or less in the news of the day. Choking back a little suppressed sob in her throat, Mrs. Brackett took from a delicate gold mesh bag and laid on the desk before Kennedy a small clipping from the Lost and Found advertisements in the Star. It read, Reward of $10,000 and absolutely no questions asked for the return of a diamond necklace of 71 stones, which disappeared from a house at Willis Hills, Long Island, last Saturday or Sunday. LaRue and Company, Jewelers, 5th Avenue. I recognized the advertisement as one that had occasioned a great deal of comment on the star due to its peculiar nature. It had been a great mystery, perhaps much more so than if the advertisement had been worded and signed in the usual way. I knew also that the advertisement had created a great furor of excitement and gossip at the fashionable North Shore Hunt Club, of which Bradford Brackett was master of foxhounds. At first, explained Mrs. Brackett nervously, LaRue and company were able to keep the secret. They even refused to let the police take up the case. But as public interest in the advertisement increased, at last the secret leaked out, at least that part of it which connected our name with the loss. That, however, seemed only to whet curiosity. It left everybody wondering what was back of it all. That's what we've been trying to avoid, that sort of publicity. She paused a moment, but Kennedy said nothing evidently thinking that the best safety valve for her overwrought feelings would be to let her tell her story in her own way. "'Why, you know,' she returned rapidly, to hide her agitation, "'the most ridiculous things have been said. Some people have even said that we lost nothing at all, that it was all a clever attempt at notoriety to get our names in the papers.' Some have said it was a plan to collect a burglary insurance. But we are wealthy. They didn't stop to think how inconceivable that was. We have nothing to lose, even if the necklace is never heard of again. 
For the moment her indignation had got the better of her worry. Most opinions, I recalled, had been finally that the disappearance was mixed up with some family affairs. At any rate, here was to be the real story at last. I dissembled my interest. Mrs. Brackett's indignation was quickly succeeded by the more poignant feelings that had brought her to Kennedy. "'You see,' she continued, now almost sobbing, "'it is really all, I fear, my own fault. "'I didn't realize that Gloria was growing so fast "'and so far out of my life. "'I've let her be brought up by governesses and servants. "'I've sent her to the best schools I could find. "'I thought it was all right. "'But now, too late, I realize that it is all wrong.' I haven't kept close enough to her. She was rattling on in this disjointed manner, getting more and more excited, but still Kennedy made no effort to lead the conversation. I didn't think Gloria was more than a child. But, why, Mr. Kennedy, she's been going, I find, to these afternoon dances in the city and out at a place not far from Willis Hills. "'What sort of places?' prompted Kennedy. "'The Cabaret Rouge,' answered Mrs. Brackett, flashing at us a look of defiance that really masked fear of public opinion. I knew of the place. It had an extremely unsavory reputation. In fact, there were two places of the same name, one in the city and the other out on Long Island.' Mrs. Brackett must have seen Kennedy and me exchange a look askance at the name. "'Oh, it's not a question of morals alone,' she hastened. "'After all, sometimes common sense and foolishness are fair equivalents for right and wrong.' Kennedy looked up quickly, genuinely surprised at this bit of worldly wisdom. "'When women do stupid, dangerous things, trouble follows,' she persisted adding, if not at once, a bit later. This is a case of it. One could not help feeling sorry for the woman and what she had to face. I had hoped, oh so dearly, she went on a moment later, that Gloria would marry a young man who I know is devoted to her, an Italian of fine family, Signor Franconi. You must have heard of him the inventor of a new system of wireless transmission of pictures. But with such a scandal, how can we expect it? Do you know him? Not personally, though I have heard of him, returned Kennedy briefly. Both Craig and myself had been interested in reports of his invention, which he called the Franconi Telephote by which he claimed to be able to telegraph either over wires or by wireless light and dark points so rapidly and in such a manner as to deceive the eye and produce, at the receiving end, what amounted to a continuous reproduction of a picture at the transmitting end. At least, in spite of his society leanings, Franconi was no mere dilettante inventor. But the necklace suggested Craig, after a moment, for the first time interrupting the rather rambling trend of Mrs. Brackett's story. What has this all to do with the necklace? She looked at him almost despairingly. 
"'I don't really care for a thousand such necklaces,' she cried. "'It is my daughter, her good name, her, her safety.' Suddenly she had become almost hysterical as she thought of the real purpose of her visit, which she had not yet been able to bring herself to disclose, even to Kennedy. Finally, with an effort, she managed to control herself and go on. "'You see,' she said in a low tone, almost as if she were confessing some fault of her own. Gloria has been frequenting these recherche places without my knowledge, and there she has become intimate with some of the fastest of the fast set. You ask about the necklace. I don't know, I must admit. Has some one of her friends taken advantage of her to learn our habits and get into the house and get it? Or have they put her up to getting it? The last query was wrung from her as if by main force. She could not even breathe it without a shudder. When the necklace was stolen, she added tremulously, it must have been an inside job, as you detectives call it. Mr. Brackett and I were away at the time at a weekend party. We supposed Gloria was visiting some friends in the city. But since then, we have learned that she motored out with some of her dance-crazed acquaintances to the Cabaret Rouge, not far from Willis Hills. It must have been taken then by some of them. The recital to comparative strangers, even though they were to be trusted to right the wrong, was more than she could bear. Mrs. Brackett was now genuinely in tears, her shoulders trembling under the emotion as she bowed her head. Her despair and self-accusation would really have moved anyone, much less were needed to enlist Kennedy. He said nothing, but his look of encouragement seemed to nerve her up again to go on. She forced back her feelings heroically. We put the advertisement that way because, well, now you understand why, she resumed. Then, anticipating our question, added, but there has been no response. I knew from her tone that even to herself she would not admit that Gloria might have been guilty. Yet subconsciously it must have been in her mind, and she knew it was in ours. Her voice broke again. Mr. Brackett has repeatedly ordered Gloria to give up her fast acquaintances, but she defies him. Even to my pleadings she has turned a deaf ear. It was most pathetic to watch the workings of the mother's face as she was forced to say this of her daughter. All thought of the necklace was lost now. I, I want my daughter back, she almost wailed. Who are these rapid youngsters? asked Craig gently. I don't know all of them, she replied. There is young Rittenhouse Smith, he is one. The Rittenhouse Smiths, you know, are a very fine family, but young Ritter, as the younger set call him, is wild. They've had to cut his allowance two or three times, I believe. Another of them is Rhinelander Brown. I don't think the Browns have much money, but it is a good family. Oh, she added with a faint attempt at a smile, I'm not the only mother who has heartaches. But the worst of it is that there are some professionals with whom they go, a dancer, 
Rex Dumond, and a woman named Bernice Bentley. I don't know any more of them, but I presume there is a regular organization of these social gangsters. Did Signor Franconi ever go with them? asked Craig. Oh, mercy, no, she hastened. And they can't seem to break the gang up, ruminated Craig, evidently liking her characterization of the group. She sighed deeply and wiped away another tear. I've done what I could with Gloria. I've cut her allowance, but it has done no good. I'm losing my hold on her altogether. You, you will help me? I mean, help Gloria? she asked eagerly, leaning forward in an appeal which must have cost her a great deal, so common is the repression of such feelings in women of her type. Gladly returned Kennedy heartily. I will do anything in my power. Proud though she was, Mrs. Brackett could scarcely murmur her thanks. Where can I see Gloria? asked Kennedy finally. She shook her head. I can't say. If you want to, you may see her tomorrow, though, at the drag hunt of the club. My husband says he is not going to take Gloria's actions without a protest, so he has peremptorily ordered her to attend the meet of the hunt club. We thought it would get her away, at least for a time, from her associates, though I must say I can't be sure that she will obey. I thought I understood, partly at least. Bradford Brackett's election as M.F.H. had been a crowning distinction in his social career, and he did not propose to have Gloria's escapade spoil the meat for him. Perhaps he thought this as good an occasion as any to use his power to force her back into the circle to which she rightfully belonged. Mrs. Brackett had risen. "'How can I ever thank you?' she exclaimed, extending her hand impulsively. I know nothing has been changed yet, but already I feel better. I shall do what I can, depend on me, reiterated Kennedy modestly. If I can do nothing before, I shall be out at the hunt club tomorrow. Perhaps I shall be there anyhow. This is a most peculiar situation, I remarked a few minutes later, as Mrs. Brackett was whisked away from the laboratory door in her motor. "'Indeed it is,' returned Kennedy, pacing up and down, his face wrinkled with thought. "'I don't know whether I feel more like a detective or a spiritual adviser.' He pulled out his watch. "'Half past four, he considered. "'I'd like to have a look at that cabaret rouge here in town.' End of section 1